0: So just like 2 weeks ago we sort of centralized on one verse and kind of everything else from the section flowed out of that. I think that we're going to be doing a similar thing this morning. I think the crux of what is happening, the core of what we re- of what was read earlier is verse 13. It says consider the work of God, who can make straight what he has made crooked. And I think that everything else, all of these other verses surrounding it flow out of this idea, flow out of this question really. Um, and it reminds me of, so I I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, but like, I've gotten sort of boring in my, as I get older and older, and so just like all the books I read, all the movies I watch, just like all documentaries are about true, you know, true things, and sometimes I get even sort of obsessed with something, like I... Um, a couple of years ago, I, you know, read one book on Mount Everest and then for like six months, like that's all I, I read more and more and more, watched movies, watched documentaries, just like learned everything I could to the point now where like I, even, even though that was years ago, like I still, like one of my top desires is to just go there. I don't want to climb it because that would be stupid. But like, I just want to go there and look at it. I just want to stand at base camp and just look at the thing, right? Because I've seen pictures. We've all seen pictures, but like, that doesn't do anything justice. And so, um, and in this obsession that I had, I read so much stuff. I read this story, and I'll never forget it. And it was, it was back in, like, the 20s. And so people, no, nobody had climbed it yet, right? And all these countries are putting together expeditions. And everybody's trying to be the first, right? And so, I mean, every, anybody who was anybody was gathering the best mountain climbers they had. And like, you've got to be the first one. We have to be the first one. Our country has to represent. We've got to be the first person to the top of Mount Everest. And so you've got all these people. And they're at the bottom. And they're trying to figure out the path. And they're trying to do this stuff. And this one guy was like, you know what? I'm not doing that. I'm going to fly my airplane into the side of the mountain, and then I'm going to survive a plane crash, and then I'm just going to climb a couple a little bit to the top. And he tried. <laughs> and he actually survived the plane crash, and he actually got his climbing gear and made it out of the wreckage and climbed up a little bit, but then, you know, he died on the mountain itself. This is like the epitome of taking a crooked path and trying to make it straight, right? Like, this is, you guys are doing it the dumb way. You're going to climb all this stuff? No way, I'm just going to, I'm going straight to the top and I'm just going to hop out of my airplane and I'll be there. It didn't work out so well for him. And when we try it, it doesn't work out so well for us, right? That God has put this crooked path in our way and we very dumbly get into airplanes and try and just bypass all the hard, we're just going to go to the top, we're going to bypass all the hard stuff. We're going to try and find our way to the top. Well, Solomon is going to give us a few examples of how sin flows out of this idea of us trying to avoid the crooked path that God has set before us. But I think the first thing to do is to understand what Solomon means by the crooked path in the first place. Each one of us, we're a lot like water, right? We want to take the path of least resistance. We want to go in whichever way is easiest. We're just going to go. And if we're not careful, we will just kind of flow with what everybody else is doing. And we won't go the way that God has commanded us to. In our desire to to live a life that is as easy as possible, sometimes we make the mistake or we're tempted to do whatever it takes to make our life easier and to keep our life easier, to keep the path in front of us smooth and straight and flat as i was thinking about this i started noticing that every ad that i saw whether it be on tv or online like it feels like advertising understands this verse in its in its opposite right every single ad i started noticing like every one of them is trying to do this we have a crooked path in front of us and it's even it was just in small things right It's like a t-shirt company, like, hey, you're overweight, don't lose weight, just wear this certain kind of t-shirt and it will make you look like you're strong and like you're not overweight. And it was like, and then the next thing I saw was like this company that sells earbuds. If you have our earbuds, it will bring peace to your life because it cancels out all these noises. And then there was dress shoes and they feel like tennis shoes. It was just like one thing after another. The hardships of life, the uncomfortableness of life, we're going to fix that for you with our product it was just like over and over again, I started noticing, like, man, the world understands the opposite of what Solomon has told us here. We all see the crooked path, but everybody is trying to find a way to straighten it out and not walk down it. How can I I smooth this out? How can I make it flat? How can I make it easy? But the problem is, no matter how hard you try, we are all still walking this path. It's not straight. It's not flat, and it's not smooth. The question that people ask in this world, or in in this realm, and this idea, this philosophical question, is really one that we've heard many, many times, right, from non-Christians and Christians alike, is that why would God allow suffering? That's another way to ask, why has God made my path so crooked? Why would God allow suffering? And many people look at the world and they see the things that are going on and they say either God must not be good or God must not be in control. Because if he's good, then he wouldn't allow all this suffering. So he must not be in control. If he's good, then he can't be in control because he would stop all the suffering. Or if he's in complete control, then he's not good because look how much suffering is being had in the world. Everybody's path is crooked. Everybody's path is hard. If God was good and in control, he would stop it. And the arrogance of that statement is baffling, right? Because it's shrouded in compassion. People say, look at all the suffering that's going on. God must not be good. As if you or I understand what is good. For other people, we don't even understand what is good for ourselves, much less do we understand what is good for the world. You see, another way of saying this is, is I define what is good, and if God doesn't do the things that I say are good, we don't say, oh, well, then I must be wrong. God is wrong. God is not good, right? That's the attitude of the world is arrogant beyond belief that people would look around and say, I know what is good. God does not. He's wrong. I'm right. We don't understand what is good for ourselves. Case in point, we all recognize that people, when they win the lottery, right, almost every time the money ruins their life. How many of you have given the choice to guarantee win the lottery tomorrow would say, No, I don't think so? We would all, be, yeah, I'll, I'll win the lottery, right? We look at famous people and we see the drug addled, narcissistic, like 10 times divorced ready to commit suicide, many of them do commit suicide, but if given the opportunity, most people would take fame. If you said you could be the number one actor, the most famous and recognized person in America, and the richest person in America tomorrow, most of us, most people would say, yeah, of course, because I'm the exception. Yeah, though. Yeah, of course, those guys didn't do it right, and those guys allowed those things to ruin their life, but I'm the exception. We don't even understand what is good for ourselves. We would take things on that would destroy us, and we even sort of know that it would destroy us, and we'd do it anyway. We would say yes to it anyway. So most people look at the world, and they look at suffering, and they say that God is not good. It's rare to see a person who looks at the world, who sees suffering, who sees the crooked path in front of them and says God is good and God is in complete control. Therefore, making the suffering and the pain that we experience from time to time, that must be good. Because God is the one in control. He is the one who is doing it. It's happening. Therefore, there's something good in it. I may not see it, but to recognize that there's something good in it. It's unfortunate, but many Christians don't even come to that conclusion. Right? We should, but oftentimes we don't. And the reason that we don't is because the world is telling us something very different than what the Bible tells us. The world says suffering, pain, sickness is bad, Avoid it at all costs. And if it's in your life, then you must have done something wrong. Or if it's prevalent in the world, then God must not exist. And we look at the Bible and we say, the Bible teaches us something very, very different. And so then the problem that we run up against is... We all know somebody, right? We know somebody who's sick. We know somebody who is suffering. We know somebody who is in pain. How do we comfort that person with compassion and love, but also at the same time trying to help them realize and help ourselves realize that those things exist so that God can teach us something, so that we can learn something. our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we can remind them of this verse, right? Because what is happening here? God is the one who has created the path. Consider what? The work of God. Consider the work of God. That your path is crooked. That your path is not easy. That it is not flat. It is not smooth. Your path is crooked, and this is the work of God in your life, in my life, every single one of us. It's not a mistake. God drew out your path and he wants you to walk it. He doesn't want you to try and find shortcuts around it. He wants you to walk the path that he drew out for you. Think about typical hiking path, right? We have millions of them surrounding us. Within an hour, you can get to any level of hiking you want to. It has ups and downs, roots and rocks, twists and turns. How many of you get excited and get all your gear together and you're packing up the stuff for the family so that you can go walk down a straight path, smooth, there's nothing around you, it's just boring, right? We don't, we don't want that, there's no excitement in that. And when we go and we climb and we want to climb to the top of a mountain. We don't expect to find an elevator at the bottom, right? We expect it to be difficult. I have friends from Texas who travel up here on a regular basis trying to climb all the 14ers, right? And they're here, and they don't expect it to be simple, and they don't expect it to be easy. And I even have a friend of mine who, you know, is a doctor, and he, like, prescribes himself these things where, like, what, it, 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 like, lowers, um, lo- it, it makes it easier. The, it makes the altitude easier because he wants to come, and he wants to climb these things, but he knows it's difficult, and he knows it's hard. And this is what we expect climbing up the mountain we're climbing up this path and there are other ways to arrive right you could try and wander off but what good does that do you have you ever tried to wander off a path when you're when you're out in the bush the only thing it's going to do is get you lost it's going to make your life more dangerous than it was if you had just stayed on the path god has made your path what it is i promise you it might look easier it might seem easier to do something different than the path that God has put before you. But it's far better to stay on the path that he has given to you. So I would encourage you with this. The next bout of suffering, the next bout of pain or sickness that you have, when that path feels like you're trying to climb a mountain that you never thought you could, remember that God has created it specifically for you. And this is hard for us to swallow, right? This is not something... That we think about. And the main reason that we don't like that idea is because we have wrong thinking. The main thing that we think on a regular basis that is opposite of what is true is that we deserve something better. It's not fair that I'm sick. It's not fair that I'm in pain. It's not fair that these things are happening to me. God, you owe me something better than this. You know what God owes you and me? Death. That's what we deserve. God looked at Adam and Eve and he said, look, if you disobey, if you eat from that tree, you will surely die. And every single one of us has eaten from that tree. Every single one of us has been disobedient to God. So when you look at your situation and think to yourself, I deserve something better than this, you're lying to yourself. We don't deserve better than that. In fact, we deserve far worse than anything God has ever done to us. The fact that we woke up this morning is a grace from God. It's a mercy that he lets us live another day. It's a mercy that he lets us live the way that we do. See, if God decided to take the life of my entire family this afternoon, it would be out of line. It would be inappropriate for me to say, God, why would you do this? I don't deserve this. This is... I deserve something better. Because let's be clear, you don't want what is fair. Because what is fair for each one of us? That we would spend an eternity in hell, but God has given us something far greater than what is fair. When things go wrong in our life, We have to have the attitude of Job, right? There's this famous statement from Job in chapter 1. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. That is our response no matter how bad things get. Because you deserve and I deserve far worse than anything that we have ever experienced on this earth. Secondly and this this will help because that is that's hard right that's hard for us to hear and it's hard for us to implement in our life until we remember that our Lord and Savior experienced far worse than anything that any one of us has ever experienced and he didn't deserve it like we do deserve all of these things but Jesus himself He didn't come in riches. He didn't come with power. He didn't come into a respectable family. He came and lived a life far more poor than any person in this room has ever experienced. He came in humility. He had the bare minimum of life's necessities. If you think that you deserve a nicer place to live, try living in a mud hut with dirt floors. If you think you deserve a better car or a nicer... Transportation, try walking everywhere you go, or maybe every so often you get to ride a donkey. Jesus lived his life on earth poorer than all of us. Right? On a possessional level, just a very practical level, everything everything that we have is far nicer and far greater than anything that he ever had. And then when we consider our suffering, do you, if you're honest with yourself, if you really self-reflect, do you really think that any pain and suffering that you have ever experienced is greater than what Jesus experienced going to the cross? Or what Jesus experienced in the garden when he knew he was going? I'm, I'm not trying to belittle. I'm not trying to say that, that any amount of pain or suffering that, that people in this room or your family has experienced. I'm not to say that it's worthless. What I'm saying is that we put it into perspective. That we understand that we don't deserve something greater. Because to say that you deserve something better than the lot that you have in your life means that you are saying you deserve better treatment than Jesus himself. And that's a place that I'm sure none of us want to be, right? Because we know it's not true. We know that we do not deserve anything greater than our Lord did. We deserve the crooked, crooked path, right? We deserve far worse than we've been given. So I'm, I, my challenge to you, my encouragement to you, is not to allow yourself to sort of wallow, right? To, to exist in a, in a place of self-pity. Because things go wrong your path is crooked unless everybody's path is crooked. There's another lie that we allow ourselves to believe is that, well, my path is crooked and it's unfair and everybody else is, seems to be doing well. It's like the curse of social media, right? You get online and you see all these pictures of all your friends and, and it looks like their life is perfect. Why are they walking this seemingly straight and smooth and easy path and mine is so much harder? We know it's... <laughs> The thing that we're seeing on the internet is not real. Everybody's path is crooked. Have you guys ever heard of? There's this famous um, Scottish theologian, and he's only famous because he wrote this one sermon. His name is Thomas Brooks. He wrote a sermon, and it was called The Crook in the Lot. Right? And it's based off of this one verse. And for, for now hundreds of years, people know his name and they read it because this is the sermon that he wrote. And one of the main points that he makes is, don't lie to yourself and think that you're the only one. Everybody's path is crooked. Everybody is living a life of difficulty. It's not, it's not if that is happening to you. It's what are you doing in the face of it. How are you responding to that when it comes Now please hear me. When you're sick, I'm not saying, well don't go to the doctor just that that's your path, just deal with it. If you have a headache, don't take Tylenol, that's your path, just deal with it. Right the Lord has put these things he's he's created these things. You're sick, go to the doctor, right? You need a surgery, go go and have that done. If there are things in your life that are making you uncomfortable, I mean it, I work as a as a chaplain, and now I'm working as a hospice chaplain. Like, if, if I believe that you shouldn't have any medical intervention, like, I wouldn't do the job that I'm doing, right? I, I, I interact with people all the time who are basically overdosing on morphine because of the pain that they are experiencing. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think that the person should just sit there and wallow and, 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 and like, endure all of that pain until they die. But the point is... It's, it's not that we shouldn't intervene or that we shouldn't be doing things. But the one thing that you must never do is think that you deserve better. right? Think that, that it's unfair that God is doing these things. That the things in your life, that this path that you are being forced to walk, that is not easy, that is not straight. You somehow deserve something greater than that. Now if you're familiar with Solomon and if you're familiar with um, Proverbs... You may have thought of this verse already. It's one of the most famous verses in the book of Proverbs. I'm sure you can finish it. If you go to Hobby Lobby or Lifeway, you're going to find it on some like old barnwood that somebody painted it on there, right? Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all of your ways. And what? He will make your path straight. So that seems to not really go with what we're talking about here. Right? Same guy seems like two very... Different messages. God made the past crooked, but then if you trust in him, now he's going to make it straight. And the point of our verse in Ecclesiastes is not that God will never make your life easier, or that he will never give you respite or rest, and that you should expect from here on out every day as crooked and winding and switchbacks, it's going to be as hard as possible. Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes, You don't try and make it straight. It's not your job to try and flatten it out. When God sees fit, he will give you respite, and he will give you rest. It reminds me of, like, one of our favorite hikes that we love to do. And it's in Beaver Creek, and you, like, go way up that road. and It's like 12 miles up, and there's this path off to the right. It's pretty, you know, about two miles back, there's a lake, and we go there quite a bit, and I always forget every time. Every time I go, I always forget that coming back there is like this section. It's like 15 minutes it's just straight uphill. And if you've ever been on it, you might know what I'm talking about. And I'm just like, I'm I'm not in that great of shape, and so I'm hiking this thing. And it's like, Lord, there's got to be like there's got to be some rest, right? And I just I I, I get and I keep going. And I keep going. And I say, God, where is this finally going to straighten out? And when is this going to flatten out? Because I'm about to die. And I'm usually, like, carrying a kid on my back, and that makes it worse. And so it's like, it's, it's miserable, and I'm climbing this hill, and just when I think I can't take another step, I get to the top. And at the top of this, whatever it is, probably half or three-quarter of a mile, just straight uphill, it flattens out, and it's nice and easy, and it's nice and smooth for a while. And I'm just always, hallelujah, praise the Lord, like I finally have made it to the top. I've caught my breath. I get some water. I take a rest, and it's like, Thank you, Jesus. But you know what I never do on the way in? That flat part, that easy part, I don't even notice it. I kind of notice the going downhill. But the only reason that I'm so thankful for the respite and the rest is because I've just climbed a half a mile straight uphill. If your path were easy, flat, straight, smooth your entire life, would you really appreciate it when God gives you rest? Would you really appreciate the grace of God if you never experienced the crooked, hard path? Part of the reason that God puts these things in our way is so that when then he gives us rest, right? When we're trusting in him and he makes our path straight and he chooses to give us a time of respite, we are so grateful, so thankful that we have two or three months of rest that things have just finally quieted down. Everything has calmed down a little bit. Praise Jesus, right? That's what we do. We know, we, we appreciate those times because of the times of hardship. So don't hear these two verses and think that they're in opposition to one another. God will choose to give you rest. He will choose to straighten down your path when he sees fit. The problem is when we do it. And that's where all the other verses come in. Verse 7, surely oppression drives wise, the wise into madness, and a bride corrupts the heart. So a wise man, just imagine, right? If, if any of you are business owners, you may have experienced this in the last couple of years, right? The oppression of not being able to run your business the way that you wanted to. If you owned a restaurant in the last five years, can you, can you imagine what those guys went through with the oppression of not being able to do things, right? You can't even open up. You can't only have three people in here that seats 100. Like, all of this oppression. What do you think the temptation was for those guys? To walk into madness, right? To do things that they would never have done. Five years ago, paying their employees, paying all of their taxes, doing every. I mean, can you imagine... I, I I would love to know the difference between the the 2019 tax returns and how many people were honest in 2020 tax returns and how many people were honest, right? Business owners who felt oppressed by the government and were tempted to lie. You oppressed me, so here I am. I'm going to press you right back. I'm going to lie, and I'm going to walk into something that they would have never done before. That's the idea, right? That's what he's saying. You have a crooked path in front of you. When you try and straighten it, your honesty can go out the window your integrity goes away because you're trying to find a solution and allow instead of allowing god to find it for you the same goes for the one who is bribed i'm sure most of us i don't know maybe you've been bribed before i've never been bribed before i don't have any i don't have any reason Nobody, nobody's gonna bribe me for any reason there's no reason for anyone to ever want to bribe me for anything but can you imagine think about Like our perception of George Washington, right? Most people still think of him as like a hero and an honest and a trustworthy guy. And somewhere along the way, bribes entered into the world of politics. How many of you would be surprised if every president in the last 50 years has been bribed and took it? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, right? It just seems to be the way of the world, right? It seems to be the way of politics. There was a time when politicians seemed to be honest trustworthy, upstanding people. And recently, it just doesn't seem like that's the way anymore, right? Because somewhere along the way, this entered in, and it changed the hearts of the men who do this. And now it's commonplace. Oh yeah, we're not supposed to do this, we're breaking the law, we don't care. Verse 8. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. So the first half of this verse we talked about at length a couple of weeks ago. Better is fulfillment, right, than potential. And he says, better is the patient in spirit than the proud. So over the last year or so, in my own life, um, I've been fighting this battle. um, That the Lord is calling, has been calling me to be patient. And in my pride, like, I'm just trying, I mean, he's, he's trying to get me to stop and think. And I struggled with this extensively. So, like, when our church shut down last year, um, I was just, like, I was ready, man. I was, like, I was ready to go and find the next thing. Like, what is it that you want me to do? Is there another church in place? Is there another this? Like, where is it that that I need to be going? And God laid this crooked path in front of me. And I'm trying to straighten it, and I'm trying to find out, what am I going to do? How am I going to proceed? How am I going to move on with my life after this thing has happened? And God closed every door in my face, everything that I tried to do. And in my pride, like, I'm picking up a crowbar, like, trying to pry him back open. Like, I don't care that you told me that I can't go straight here. I'm going to try and do it anyway. And my pride sort of manifested itself. When we rejoined the church that planted us back in Durango, and I would show up, we would show up as a family week after week, and nobody asked me to do anything, right? Nobody asked. There was, there was never this like, the church is going to fall apart unless Chris Tulare stands up and, and fixes the thing that we, we can't have. It can't be fixed unless you get up here and do it. Nobody asked anything of us. And my pride week after week after week was just like, you have all of these skills, and you have all of this ability, and why, aren't, why do they not care about you, and why do they not ask you, right? And, my, and it's just going through my head and it's cycling through, and it took a long time, and the Lord finally showed me, like, I don't need you. Hey, I, my church is doing just fine without you. And it was really hard for me because God had gifted me with these things and he wasn't allowing me to use them. And that's how I thought about it. And God was, it wasn't, wasn't, he wasn't allowing me to do these things. He was like, you need to be knocked down like 20 pegs here. Because your pride is in the way and it's a problem. He said, you need to be patient. Because your pride is a problem. And so he fought back against my pride by forcing me to be patient. To the point... Where when Colby called me and asked me, hey, can you come and preach for such a long time, I had just sort of made, like, turned the, turned the corner on that thing. And I was just sort of starting to realize, like, look, I don't know what comes next. I don't know what the Lord has for me. I don't know what he wants me to do. But I do know that I need to stop trying to be in the spotlight or trying to be on the stage or or have my voice heard. And then Colby calls me, and I'm like, God, dude, I don't think I can do that. Like, I just, it's like, it it was like an alcoholic a week after, you know, walking out of the bar and being sober, and then someone saying, hey, like, come to the bar with me. Uh, It it was hard, right? And I prayed about it for a long time, and it was just like trying to wrestle through this thing. Like, is the Lord going to, am I going to be able to stay humble being back on a stage and preaching? And the Lord Lord has been kind to me, right? And I I feel like he has really kept kept that in check. But that's what's going on here, right? I tried to to straighten out this path, and the Lord said, no, you have to be patient. You're going to sit for six months and do nothing. And that was really, really difficult. And the Lord has brought me out of that a little bit. But this is what it looks like when we try to straighten our own path. Verse 9. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Men, I'm going to ask you a hypothetical question that I know has never happened to you. But just imagine that you're doing a project and it goes perfectly. (laughs) Nothing goes wrong, right? You're changing your oil and it doesn't splash in your face. Or you don't bust your knuckle trying to break the bolt loose, right? Everything goes exactly as you planned. Do you get angry in those situations? I know I know it's never happened, so you got got to think hypothetically here. When do you get mad? When you're when you're doing something, when you're working on something, when it doesn't go the way you want, when God sets a crooked path in front of you, even if something is stupid as building a kitchen a, a kitchen table, right? You're I'm going I got this project, I'm going to build this thing. It, it has no impact on the world whatsoever. And yet God has put this crooked path, he's put these things in front of you. You need a four foot two by four, and the only one you can find is 45 inches, and now you got to go to Home Depot and buy one, right? All the things that you thought were going to go perfectly smoothly, don't. That's when you get mad. When you try to straighten out the crooked path. Verse 10, another sin that we have to be aware of say not why are these former days better why why were the former days better than these for it is not from wisdom that you ask this now this is a weird thing to throw in here solomon says you being nostalgic is you trying to make your crooked path straight why how often do you think back to times that you have convinced yourself are better than the times that you're living in now. And the real question is, is it true? If college was fun for you or high school was fun for you, you think, man, I could, if I could just go back. What, what is wrong when we do that? We don't remember the hard times. All we do is just remember the good times about what was going on. When I... When I allow myself or fall into that sin or that trap of thinking, man, if I could just go back to college, like, you know, just free as a bird, I was just doing whatever I wanted all the time and thinking that that was good somehow. That my life was better somehow in those years than it is now. Because A, I'm ignoring all the good things in my life now, and B, I'm ignoring all the bad things in my life from then. And what's really interesting is that Nostalgia is actually us looking to the future. Because what we do when we think back in nostalgia, we say, Man, there was a time in my life, even though it's not true, we convince ourselves, there was a time in my life when everything was smooth and flat and easy and the path was straight in front of me. And what we're actually doing is we're looking forward to what we hope for one day. As I read a couple of weeks ago, C.S. Lewis preached this sermon Right. And he he talked about this. Right. We, We think back, but really we misremember. And what we're really looking for is that far off country that we've never visited. Right. Being with God forever one day there, because there will come a day when your path will be smooth and straight and flat and easy. And that day comes when you are with God for eternity. It's not gonna happen here. So we look back at nostalgia and we and what we're doing, and we don't even most people don't we don't even realize it. What we're actually doing is looking towards the future. We're hoping for the thing that God has promised us one day. That we will be with him forever. That sin and pain and suffering, all of those things that Revelation tells us will go away forever. That's what we're hoping for. That's what we're looking towards. Verses 11 and 12, wisdom is the one thing that Solomon speaks of as a positive. Why? Because we know Solomon's understanding of wisdom. That wisdom comes, that it has its beginning in our fear of the Lord. Solomon is not talking about wisdom from ancient literature or wisdom like the, in the way that our world understands it. We're going to read all these books. We're going to get smart. We're going to, read. we're going to learn how to read the stock market. We're going to have good investments. And we're going to learn how to read this. And we're going to get better. And everything in our life is going to improve. He's talking about wisdom in the sense of what he says in Proverbs. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Wisdom will do all of the things that he shows us in 11 and 12. When we fear the Lord. When we are serving God. When we have put our hope and our faith in him. And the last thing he says is verse 14 In the day of prosperity be joyful and in the day of adversity consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find any not find out anything that will be after him. In other words your life will not be easier if you obey more right when Jesus is walking around the Pharisees have this misconception they look at a man who is blind and they say what did he do. What did his father do? Somebody sinned for this guy to be blind right Somebody sinned for this man to be lame. Somebody in his, either in his life or in his what, in, in his family has done something horrible and that 's why he is the way that he is it 's like they didn't even read the old testament right they don't understand it 's right here, right in front of us. God determines your path when it 's crooked it 's not a punishment. Because you're being extra sinful this week. I'm going to put a crooked path on your... The next week is now going to be worse because of what you did this week. He straightens it when he feels like it. He he makes it crooked when he feels like it. He brings hardships into our life so that we can learn. It's not a punishment. If you view suffering in your life as punishment, then you will completely miss the point of it. God is trying to teach you something. He's trying to teach each one of us something when we endure pain, sickness, and discomfort. So no matter what comes before you, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider, right? Think about what God is doing. Ask him, what do you want me to learn from this, right? Right? And as Christians, and as our fellow Christians suffer, once again, we want to be compassionate, right? We don't want to, just be, we don't want to be utilitarian and say, oh, you're sick in the hospital? Let's, let's dive into that and figure out right now, in this moment, while you're wallowing in pain, what is it that God is trying to teach you about this? It's not that God is saying there is no room for compassion. There is no room for love and trying to, trying to, 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 con- to console those who are suffering. we also want to speak the truth right in that love and in that comfort and in that in in taking care of one another in those hard times find a way look for the way look for the opening look for a way to be able to remind your brothers and sisters in Christ that God is doing this for a reason and you might not know what it is for six months or two years or ten years or maybe never but God is doing something in your life So my challenge to you and my encouragement to you is don't look at your crooked path as something that you don't deserve. Don't try and straighten it out, but let God do his work in your life. Seek what God is trying to teach you and learn everything you can in those moments of suffering and hardship. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We know that you have loved us, Lord, that you have sent Jesus to earth. Lord, that you have brought more suffering on your own son than any of us have ever experienced. And through that suffering and through that death and resurrection, that we can call you Father, that we are saved and forgiven. Lord, help us to recognize that the things in this world that are good are the things that you call good and not what we call good and not what we understand to be good. Lord, you have put a path before each one of us. Some of them are easier than others. Some are smoother than others. Lord, help us to walk our own and help us to help our brother and sister walk theirs as well. Lord, that we would constantly have our eyes focused on you throughout the whole process. We love you and we thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.